Amen. Welcome to HBF. It is good to see you this morning. And uh, great, man, great to just see everybody and praise God together. Uh, If you are a guest, we are so glad that you have joined us this morning. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you're with us. We know we have some members out. uh, Dottie Bartlett's recovering from surgery, and and there are others that are homebound for different reasons. Uh, Leela's in in the hospital. So continue to pray for our saints and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're so glad that if you're a guest that you chose to come here this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to the book of Exodus And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack that's in front of you or near you. If you are a guest and you didn't uh, have a Bible in that bag, there's a a Bible uh, as well as some other goodies, as Bob mentioned. And uh, you can turn to page 84, page 84 in your, uh, if you have a pew Bible there, uh, or in your Bible, uh, Exodus is the second book in your Bible. So just start in the front and start flipping through Genesis and you'll get there to Exodus chapter 2. All right, so it's been a a couple weeks since we've been in Exodus, and uh, we are in this sermon series called Getting Out of Egypt. So um, we've covered Exodus chapter 1, so we're we're making progress. There's still a long way to go, Uh, but uh, we're going to take it in some some chunks as we go. And so I think we're going to enjoy this as we uh, saw how Israel transitioned from being blessed right in the land of Goshen. Uh, Many of us know that it was through Joseph when we leave Genesis uh, in the, the last verse there, it's dealing with how God had his people down in uh, Egypt, and, and Joseph, of course, had died. And, and so we enter in Exodus chapter 1, and we saw that uh, they were born into bondage, or they even recognized it or not. At one point, you know, Joseph was large and in charge, and they had this sweet land down in Goshen land, and they were, uh, you know, of course, herdsmen and, and having a great time agriculturally, just continuing to multiply their families. And and then, of course, the new, the new Pharaoh came on, and it wasn't so good. They were instantly put under uh, hard bondage, severe bondage. Rigorous is the word that the Bible used. They were under rigorous bondage. And so their life was disrupted, right, because, well, there was, uh, that was intentional. It was intentional because Pharaoh was afraid of their multiplication power, which is exactly what God had ordained in Abraham's uh, covenant for them to do, was be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That was what he wanted for them, he wanted to use them as a, as a nation, as a peculiar people, and it was a threatening uh, proposition to Pharaoh. So um, God remembered his promised seed, and, and he was uh, preparing, though, a promised land, and Egypt wasn't it. So he used Pharaoh, right? God utilized a, a problem king, and that problem king was Pharaoh. That's where we left off, and the wicked decree that, that uh, was given by Pharaoh was... Uh, not being adhered to by the midwives. So we left off in chapter 1 with Pharaoh in charge, and all the people were charged under his authority. All the people now, uh, not just the midwives, were charged. If there was a Hebrew male child born, what were they supposed to do with him? Kill him, him, right? Throw him in the Nile, let the crocs eat him, and uh, all male children are to be executed. Um, And so um, Hebrew male children, of course. And that will play you know, large later uh, at the Passover when uh, God uh, you know, calls that and calls the bluff, and then he goes after the male children. And so you don't want to get after God's creation like that because God has a long memory. Okay, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2 is where we're at. If you have your Bibles, let's stand together. I know you just got settled. Let's stand. And we don't do this out of tradition, by the way. We do this because we really do believe we have God's words. These are God's words preserved for us. And so when we stand and read it, it's just like they did in the book of Ezra. It's, it's, it's honoring his word, and we really want God to speak. What I have to say is not important. 
what God has to say is of the utmost importance. So let's look at the text, Exodus chapter 2, and uh, just read the first 10 verses, and we'll jump into the message this morning. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife, uh, and took a two wife, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not uh, no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit uh, what would be done to him. Verse 5, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him to, unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account, this, this historical account of Moses. It's accurate. It's also very prophetic and that we've seen a Gentile principality yield, going against the king's decree to kill and give grace uh, to a Jewish child, which will be pictured for the millennium or the, the tribulation period here in the future. Lord, things uh, on this planet aren't getting any better, but Lord, we have the best message ever, and we're so thankful for it. We're thankful for your heart for life. We're thankful for of the reality that you are, you hear those that are in bondage. You hear those that are in king's houses, Lord. You, you know everything, and Lord, you're looking for the broken and contrite heart even this morning, even in this room this morning, even at this moment, whether they're in this room or online, Lord, you're, you're looking to communicate, to deliver people, Lord, who are in bondage. And I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word this morning, that you would teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us, and that the Holy Ghost would have free course in our hearts today to just magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, we're introduced now to Moses. For the first time in the book of Exodus, we see the child by name, Moses. And of course, he's the one that ultimately was the author of the Pentateuch. Uh, and so he's writing about himself in his own account, and he doesn't go on and on about it. It's actually very, uh, very discreet, very down, uh, downplayed. Uh, he's a child who had a decree to be killed by the powers that be. He was not supposed to be born, yet he was born. He was not supposed to be successful, yet he was successful. But it, did, it took a long time to get there. And so we're going to look at his life this morning, and we're going to see because of the love of his mother and the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, we see that God providentially delivered uh, the deliverer to Israel. God providentially delivered the deliverer to Israel. 
right? He couldn't deliver anybody until he was delivered of his mother. So in our text, as we look at verses 1 and 2, we see that God's deliverers are conceived in obscurity. There was nothing really special about Moses or his parents other than God chose to use this this young man. And Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And there went out a man of the house of Levi and took uh, to wife a daughter of Levi. So they were Levites, of course. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and she saw him that he was a goodly child, and she hid him three months. So Moses conceals, point A, his family's identity. He doesn't reveal really here who his family is. He doesn't go on and on about their names or their background. Just a, Levi met an, a Levite met another Levite. They got together, and they, and they were married and had children. Isn't that a wonderful story? You know, the Bible says that up to the coming of Christ, people will, will give in marriage, right, and be given in marriage. So don't freak out uh, in all the weirdness about marriage today. Uh, God has fixed that thing. It's between a man and a woman, and it's going to keep going on, even in the tribulation and then even in the millennium. So that's, that, that thing is established by God. It's going to keep going on the way God wants it to go, even though there's a big battle against it today. So take a deep breath, <sighs> right? Have perfect peace because, man, we're, our minds are focused on him, amen? Amen. In the most difficult situations, God is coming through and he's delivering a child in a time when this child wasn't even supposed to be born, praise God. And, uh, and so Moses conceals his family's identity. Moses, again, is the author of these first five books of the Scripture. Of course, God's the author. God uses him uh, to, inscri- and to inscripturate him, right? They're inspired by God, inscripturated by Moses, and then preserved for us today. His mother and father and sister are not named in Exodus 2, but his brother we know is who is his brother? Let me do a quiz. Who's his brother? Right, Aaron, right? And anybody know his sister? Miriam, that's right, you got it. And so uh, they're, they're recorded for us in the scripture as well. So we know nothing more, though, as we're reading this text, than that they're an obscure and anonymous couple of Levites uh, who come together and conceive this child. Um, and uh, it's a story that many of us uh, can really relate to. God can utilize anyone anyone that he chooses to bring deliverance. And when you look at the Bible, not just Moses, when you look at the Bible, right, he typically and often uses the obscure people, right? David's an example of that. David is another example of that. Uh, There's example after example. Even Jesus' 12 disciples, right? They were not members of the Sanhedrin. They weren't part of the royal family. John was as close to the probably the royals or the elites as anybody in the group. I mean, it's not that he excludes key people, right? Paul was kind of an anomaly. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and all that. So it's not to exclude uh, people uh, in those positions. But God doesn't need anyone. And when it comes to deliverance, he often brings it from complete obscurity, or in the case of the Apostle Paul, from his own enemy, right? The last person you think would be an advocate for Jesus becomes that advocate for Jesus. There's some of us in the room that could raise our hand and say, amen, that's me. Some of us used to fight against God, and now we're fighting for God. Isn't that grace? Man, praise God. God is good. He can do what he wants to do, and he wants to deliver people. And he wants to use you, and he wants to use me to do this. So, so he goes into this obscure couple, and he, and he delivers this young man. We know from Exodus 6.20 that Amram was Moses' father. I wasn't going to quiz you on that. Uh, Amram, and uh, Jochebed was his mother. Now, some of you know that, but I probably wouldn't know that unless I have to look it up because I forget those names. Now, Amy, on the other hand, remembers everything, uh, and that's a compliment. And so the creepy thing about this... Um... <laughs> what? That wasn't supposed to be funny. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have thrown in that's a compliment, I guess. So She does remember everything in that sense. She remembers everything. It's amazing. You know, when you're married, a different, um, different, God gifts you differently. Like the way I look at the Bible, I kind of got a big view of most everything in life. So I, even the Bible, I just kind of see big picture stuff a lot. And I like to drill down too, as you can tell. But, but, but like the names and stuff, man, I, I forget your name sometimes. And I forget their names. She'll like remember stories and names and plot lines. And I'm like, how do you remember that? You know, I don't know. That's a gift. God gives you your spouse to kind of... So if I'm like looking for something, she'll remember it. That's what I was talking about. Anyway, <laughs> trying to compliment this woman. All right. So anyhow. Uh, so, and then the next thing I had to say is the creepy thing. All right. So back to my message. The creepy thing about the situation that, to me and, and to most of us here is Jock Bed and, and uh, <clears throat> Amram. That situation, when you go to Exodus 6.20... Um, if I knew this, I forgot it. So it's fresh to me again. That's happening. The older I get, the more this is happening. Things are becoming new again. But anyway, Exodus 6:20 it says, "And Amram took Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife." I'm like, "Whoa!" And she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. So he lived to be 137 years old. But he, what does that mean? Well, if if I read that re- correctly. Um, uh, I think that was a little creepy, man. He's marrying his aunt. or I mean, so whatever. But anyway, uh, so it was a weird family situation. But that is the way God ordained it, and that's the way it went down. Exodus 6.20, and it was before the law, by the way. So it all worked out. So we see Aaron mentioned in Exodus 7 and verse 7, and Moses and Aaron stand before Pharaoh, right? So we know that's his brother. Moses was four score years old, and Aaron four score and three years old. So we know, if we do the math then, if at the time they stand before Pharaoh, uh, Mo, uh, Moses is 80 and his brother's 83, then at the time of his birth, how old would Aaron be? Three years old, right? There you go. So, so we know his brother's three years older, and uh, he's an older brother. And so we know that from the text. So here in Exodus 7 7, we learn that, that Aaron was uh, three years older. And from this, we can surmise that Aaron was born probably just before that decree that we looked at in chapter 1 right? So it doesn't seem there's any issues with little Aaron running around the village because he made it under the wire most likely. So this decree had probably happened somewhere around, uh, you know, just after the birth of Aaron is what we surmise. I don't know that, but that just makes common sense. And so uh, Moses' uh, name is revealing as well. Um, He also, by the way, before I move on to that, Moses' sister is Miriam, and she is not named until Exodus 15-20. And we're told there numbers uh, are in uh, in numbers as well. Numbers twenty six fifty nine. The names of all the children: Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. So those are his. Those are the three children that we are told about from this uh, Levite couple. So Moses' name is revealed. We read that last verses. That last verse in verse ten, and uh, the name is defined in that verse as well. When Pharaoh's daughter names him, what she she say? Well, I, I named him Moses. So you really don't even have to go to the Greek or to go to the Hebrew to find out the name because it's right there after the colon. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. Moses means draw out. That's what his name means is draw out. And why would God do that? Well, of course, this man's going to be a great deliverer. And so his mom is pregnant and she's going to do what we, what all the, not we, because I'm not transgender. Uh, she is, she's going to do what all women that have, that are pregnant do, and that is deliver her child. Right, and so she's delivering a deliverer. 
uh, and he's going to draw out. He's first of all going to be drawn out of the water. He's going to be delivered himself, not only from uh, the decree of Pharaoh, he's going to be delivered from the crocodiles in the Nile, right? So he's going to be drawn out of danger into the safety of Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's own home, uh, the, the, the real enemy in that amazing, uh, who also pays for him to be nurtured. And so Moses, point B, is, was conceived to proclaim liberty. He was, he was conceived to proclaim liberty. Now look at the text with me there in verse 3. It says, And when she could not, no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. You, we see Jochebed hid Moses for three months. As long as she could, she could, she could do it, she hid her son. And I'm not going to do justice to that. I don't think I can. Um, uh, we could make a whole feature film just about the drama about this whole situation as far up to verse 3. Just being under those circumstances, having a child under those circumstances, uh, having to hide it for three months under those circumstances. It's like when we watch a Holocaust movie, right? And the Germans are coming to, to get the family and they're hiding the baby or Anne Frank up in the attic. You know, we, we've seen these dramas. These are high stakes dramas and you can, we can relate to them even in recent history. Right, and and uh, uh, I just had some friends down here in KCK that had to escape from the the oppressive uh, butchers in in uh, Myanmar. Right, uh, the government there hates Christians, so they're they're flying they're they're in flight trying to get from a bad situation to another bad situation uh, <clears throat> and, and over on the in Malaysia, um, which is in itself treacherous. And that's one of the things they talk about is the baby. Is, I've I've heard firsthand accounts from our brothers up here in KCK of how children die because moms are trying to keep them quiet because they're trying to escape and they don't want to have the military hear it. Next thing you know, their baby dies, right? Because their baby's going to give them away. You can imagine the drama that goes on when you're under those oppressive situations, which are going on right now, by the way. They're going on today in the world today, different places in the world. Uh, You're not going to read it on the news, but it is happening today. Um, And so just kind of keep that in mind. That's a reality, it's not just something that happened thousands of years ago. Uh, it's happening now. And so, uh, so that's a lot of drama. That's a lot of intensity. And, and, and you say, well, Brian, why do you say Moses was conceived to proclaim liberty? Well, that, the problem is the kid won't shut up, right? She's like three months in. And he's like, man, this kid's going to give us away. I got to have another plan. I mean, I got to give her credit too. This plan that she, she comes up with, uh, it's, it's kind of a Hail Mary pass, but it's strategic, Right? She's, throwing, she's like, go to the corner of the end zone. I'm going to put the ball there and just hope, hope to God that it happens. And, of course, it goes down exactly the way God needs it to happen to deliver Moses. I don't think she had any assurance other than the faith that she had in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his desire to see these males live. Uh, other than that, she had no assurance that her plan would work. She doesn't know that Moses isn't going to get eaten by a crocodile. She doesn't know that they're not going to discover the child and throw it back in the, in the Nile. I think she's just simply going by faith, counting on the fact that Pharaoh's daughter is going to have compassion. And, you know, sometimes God puts us in those very tense situations. It's just hard to imagine the tension that Jochebed and Amram were going through as they contemplated how to save the life of this goodly boy. And so we see this shadow of Jesus who was also hid. You'll remember when he was born, Herod was after he was in, in pursuit, after the Messiah, right? Because the same thing, this child that you're talking about is a threat. You come all the way from Persia to tell me that there's a child that's born 
Oh, well, let me, when you find him, let me come so I can worship him. Of course, that's the last thing Herod wanted to do, right? He wanted to find him and kill him. And so if you're dealing with principalities and powers, I would just give you some advice. You are better parents to your children than any king, than any country, than anybody else. So take care of your own children because you love them much more uh, than any principality or any power. Uh, Nothing against principalities and power, with all due respect. But your job, my job as parents, are to take care of our own children, right? You don't need the state raising your children. That is a bad direction, right? You know, Cold War era, uh, you send your kid off to the state in East Berlin, and, you you know, oops, you made the mistake of watching Captain Crunch or whatever that morning, and, oh, they know now you're watching Western TV. Next thing you know, your kids are gone. And so you don't want to be under that oppressive situation. And so that's the kind of situation that, that, that they were under. It was very oppressive, and they just wanted liberty, But their kid, he keeps screaming. He's crying. Why is he crying? Because God made those lungs. God wanted him to proclaim. He wanted to use that little man uh, to get the word out. Just like he wants to use our lips and our lungs. And he wants to get the word out through us as well. So we see this shadow of Jesus who also was hid in Matthew 2.13. It says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. He wasn't a baby. He was a young child. But, and they fled to Egypt, and, and, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. God says, I'm going to take care of this child. I'm going to, going to whisk him away. You know, the adversary hates innocence. I'm glad we got a good, strong group of young and, and old. we got a good, strong group of people here at this church. And every Sunday and Wednesday night, you know what they're doing? They're investing in our kids. Why? Because we, not only is that important and not only is it, uh, are they precious, but we know also the world, the flesh, and the devil hate them. Man, you gotta, you got to protect what's innocent, right? God takes care of Jesus, so it's pure and innocent. And he takes care of his word. And, and beloved, he'll take care of you and he'll take care of me. And so it's, it's ironic that in Exodus 2, Jochebed couldn't keep Moses quiet, but as he grows into an adult, then he claims he can't speak. I ain't buying that, Moses. Neither was God, but he gave him Aaron anyway to speak for him, but I think Moses did okay. So when Christians are born again, you know what we're like, the Bible says? We're like newborn babes. And sometimes when we say stuff, it doesn't make sense. It's just, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? God, be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because God's made their voice, right, to be molded and shaped. Don't discourage them. Encourage them because, you know, someday God will use that voice to proclaim the gospel. Man, he had a plan for Moses. He had a plan for Moses to to steward the law and be an example. I mean, Moses is coming back. Just think about this biblically as one of the two witnesses. He's going to be back in the coming tribulation. I mean, his ministry is still not done. He's going to come back and stand toe-to-toe with the Antichrist. Like, Pharaoh's just a warm-up. Amazing. This Bible just blows my mind. It's incredible. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, though, that babes in Christ, you know what? They cry. They're carnal. They wet themselves and poop their diapers and all that kind of stuff. Not physically, hopefully, but spiritually. And you just, well, you love them. And, and you do what you can to protect them. Right? You, you do what you can to help them. But... Moses' voice was getting so loud, uh, and he wasn't big enough to take care of himself, so mom and dad just have to do something. And of course, they make this ark, and they put him in the river. But we've been created to proclaim the liberty as well, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.3, and many of you know this verse, 
What's it say? But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So God takes this little ark and mom puts this little baby in the ark, right? And she covers it up with a lid. And you know what? That little proclaimer is hid. It's hid in an ark. And it's going to be set in motion in the riverbank over there in the flag so it doesn't go out and get eaten by a crocodile. And Right? Strategically where it needs to be. So when she opens up that little proclaimer, she's, it's not even going to be speaking clearly to her. But just hearing that cry is going to touch her heart. You know what we do here in the ministry of HBF? We, we've funded uh, brothers like Pradeep Lima and Pastor Rajan and, and other brothers that go to places where people don't even, their language isn't even written. I mean, they don't even have a written language. They just have a verbal dialect. And so uh, the, the Word of God is recorded, and it's in what they call a proclaimer. So you take this little proclaimer and you deliver it to this village in the mountains, in the Himalayan mountains, or in the, out in the mountainous regions in the, in, the, in, the, in the reaches of Orissa or wherever in India, and, you, and, you, and they go into this village and they just leave this proclaimer. And it just, it, it, what happens is they open up this device and play it, and it proclaims the Word of God. And people get saved. It's amazing. And God's Word is important, and it's everything. And Moses even represents that as he's going to be a steward of the law, and he's wrapped up in this package, and he's proclaiming his lungs are screaming. But while he's in that container, it appears that he's quiet. <clears throat> so Moses' mother's rested in God's sovereignty. <clears throat> There's a point where, man, that's all she could do. As she just put the child there in and, and laid him in the flags, which, of course, is at the, we, we're familiar with that around here. We still have those things around our ponds. We got lily pads around here. I don't know about why, but anyway. Um, but you know, you, you're familiar with what the flags look like along the, the river's bank, or the, uh, or especially around a pond or a lake. So she lays them in there, and 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 is at the river's brink, right near the edge. And Moses's mother uh, creates uh, this ark and saves a child's life. So this is the second of three arks that's mentioned in the Bible. So when you hear the word ark, right, everyone's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, And most people know about the Ark of the Covenant, but this is another Ark. And it's fascinating because the Ark of Noah, that Ark, that, that ark saved, well, it saved Adam's seed, right? And Noah uh, goes all the way back to Adam. So Adam's seed was saved through that Ark. And then this Ark also saves a seed. It's, it's not Adam's seed, it's the seed of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob will be preserved just like it was preserved through Joseph going into Egypt, it's going to be preserved by Moses coming out of Egypt. And he, comes, he gets found and discovered in an ark. And of course, thirdly, there will be then the Ark of the Covenant given, uh, you know, the, the pattern given to Moses. And what goes in that ark? Well, of course, the rod and the word and so and the manna it goes in the Ark of the Covenant. And that ark is, is, is God's seal. And it, it reminds us, that that ark saves God's seed. The whole nation of Israel uh, is was worshiping around that ark. It's critical in the temple, in the tabernacle, and in the temple that that ark was present for worship. So First Peter one twenty three says that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Where's God got His word hid today? Yeah, in our hearts. He's also got it in this book, and it's also in this church. The Word of God, beloved, 
The seed of God's word is here, right? We are his, we are his tabernacle. We're talking about this on Wednesday night, right? We are the body of Christ. And so, uh, and he has hid his word in our hearts. So the ark contained the seed that birthed the nation. The ark of the covenant contained that seed that birthed the nation. Eventually will bring forth the promised seed. And the promised seed, let me see, see what that says in, first, in John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and Revelation 19. I think his name is the... Word of God. The Word of God. That's why when you get saved, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe His Word in your heart. Literally, He takes up residence in you. The seed of God's Word. You're born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, by the Word of God. So Jochbed moves swiftly to create this container that was sealed and closed and most of the images that you find, uh, it is not. I put, a, put an image up where he's actually, she's opening it. So that's, you saw that. And he's floating, uh, you know, along and he's in this open container. Well, I don't think mom was foolish enough to do that. He probably would have gotten eaten by a crocodile. Uh, and, so, um, and so she puts him in a container and, and, and it's closed. <clears throat> and uh, that would have made Moses, uh, if he was in an open container, be like in a bird nest sitting out on the thing. He'd been a good hors d'oeuvre for, you know, some some crocs and so uh she places him strategically there right on the the river's brink on the edge of the bank so pharaoh's daughter would see and hear his little cries and it would seem that jacobed had uh, some intuition that pharaoh's daughter would have had compassion on this child i don't know that some things i you just don't know i I don't think you'll know in the bible maybe there's something that reveals it i'm not privy to but I, I would hazard to guess that she probably, as a, as a mom, and in the proximity of Miriam to uh, Pharaoh's daughter, had some sort of inkling uh, that this, this lady would be sensitive. One of the things I've wondered, and I don't know, these are things I still don't know, I don't know anything about the status of, of uh, her ability to conceive, right? I don't know if she was barren, and, uh, and, and that was a big deal. That'd be a huge deal if you were Pharaoh's uh, daughter, and your job was to, you know, have a, a divine being come forth from you because they believed in Ra, the sun god, and that they were gods themselves and all that baloney, and she couldn't conceive. You know, that would be a big deal. I don't really know what's going on with Pharaoh's daughter, so I'm surmising something. I want to be clear about that. I don't really know what's going on with her. But I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't something going on where they had some sort of confidence that God could work through her, right? Not that she was godly, but that God could work through her, that she had a conscience, and uh, obviously she did. So point D, uh, Moses' sister behaved prudently. You see that in verses 4 through 9, right in the text there. Uh, it says that, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would, would, be, would be done to him. Now, the way that's worded there in verse 4, I really do believe that they had no idea what was going to transpire. This was a complete Hail Mary pass. They were trusting God, hoping beyond hope that God would show them favor. And we see that Miriam stood afar off to witness this <clears throat> and what was going to happen to her baby brother. Man, it reminds me of just a few years ago when ISIS was you know, raging all over the Middle East and uh, North Africa, right? You know, just time after time again, they'd find Christians and, and they'd persecute oftentimes the children and the wives first to try to get the man to recant. And a man would have to sit there and watch his kids get slaughtered or his wife get slaughtered and then he would be the last to go, you know? And man, when you think about that kind of faith, uh, that's tough. It's tough to think that the God of, a, of God of, of heaven uh, is allowing those things to go on. It doesn't go on forever, 
And those people entered into glory immediately. And man, they, man, praise God for them. They get the martyr's crown. And I can't wait to meet them. And man, they, they praise God. Uh, they encourage me in the faith uh, when, when martyrs, martyrs go down like that. And really, the martyrs go down to come up. Their faith is in Christ. But man, that is a, that's a tough thing to think about. Sitting there watching your baby, not knowing if it's going to live or going to die. They don't have a decree on your life. Uh, they have a decree on your child's life. Whew. Man, beloved, that's a big deal. And uh, we were talking about it this weekend at the men's conference. I mean, men got to be men. Uh, there's a decree on our kids right now, right? They, they want to really mess up the minds of children. It's very obvious, right? And totally dis- disregard not only what the Bible said forever, uh, but also what is human and natural. It's ridiculous. What's crazy is that people, parents that buy, go by and men sit back and let that go on without any pushback. I'm not saying like armed revolts. I'm just saying, you know, go to the school board, get in somebody's grill, ask them what they're doing. This is crazy. Or take your kids out of that mess. I don't know. But anyway, I digress. Um, Moses' sister had to, to sit and watch and see what would happen. And of course, the daughter of Pharaoh went down to the river and to wash with her maidens, as the text says, and she's right there along the edge. And of course, she sees this immediately and sends a maiden to fetch the ark. And notice what verse 6 says, is that she opened this ark. So we know that it had this lid on it, and it was concealed, and it gets, it gets hot in Egypt. I, I, th- I was thinking about what that would be like to take your infant child, three, you know, three months old, and stick him in a box along the Nile. You know, Hopefully it's the cool of the day, but still. I mean, I know around here in the summertime, if it, it, it can be hot at 8 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, and to stick your child in a closed box in a situation like that, you're hoping they find him soon. What's going to happen? Well, praise God, she finds him. She opens the box, as you know. And as soon as she opens this container, this ark, man, the light shines out. That baby cries, and her heart is smitten. And this woman's heart could not resist this child. God put it in her heart to love Moses. And, of course, the wisdom now we see of, of uh, Miriam it is, it is at this moment as Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on Moses and identifies him as one of the Hebrews' children, that Miriam goes from standing around and witnessing what's going on to taking that, that bold step and saying, oh, man, the door is open, and she speaks. Man, beloved, we interact with people all day long. We don't know whether they're going to die and go to hell or be in heaven. And it, is, it behooves us to be wise and prudent and wait when that door opens to step in and speak. And boy, she did. And she offers advice that, that is taken. I, shall I go and, and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? I suspect uh, Miriam and Jochebed had prayed that God would bring this situation to pass. And Miriam seized the opportunity to act on behalf of her mother and brother. What if Pharaoh's daughter would have said, are you in on this? You and this child, where's your mother? Where's your father? We're going to execute all of you for not obeying the king's order. But you know what? It doesn't look like Pharaoh's daughter is scared of the king. And Miriam isn't scared either. You know, there comes a point in life, then what's, what's the difference? Would you rather die preaching the gospel 
or stand there with your, with your tongue in your mouth not saying anything while people die and go to hell. There's a point where you just got to weigh out the cost. What's most important here? It's doing what God tells you to do. God tells Miriam to speak up so she sees the door open. She sees the reception and she jumps right in there. Hey, can I get somebody to help you? Now, I don't know. We're not given the details. But these people in Egypt, I mean, their buildings are still standing. We got museums full of stuff. <laughs> I mean, all over the world. Pretty advanced civilization. Right? They're just now figuring out, oh, wow, how, all these like all these pyramids, and they're just like a, a super big Wi-Fi network. Yeah, imagine that. Right? Perhaps they had electricity. No way. Yeah, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe all that gold cap stuff has, was, was going on more than we even realized. All right, so there's a lot of theories. But anyway, they're a pretty advanced civilization. I think Pharaoh's daughter might have had an inkling. You know, when a Hebrew just steps up and says, Hey, can I get someone to nurse this child? Uh, sure. Who would you get? Well, this lady just happens to be, she does have a three-year-old, but this, hap- this lady happens to be ready to, to feed this child and just puts that right together. I don't know if she knew or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't suspecting that this was Moses' mother. But what we see here, point E, is Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. She had compassion on Moses. We see that the compassion was attended with action. Wasn't it's not enough just to have compassion. Oh, this is one of the Hebrews' child children. Oh, too bad. Lid. Where's the Crocs? Throw it out. Now she she couldn't do that. Why? Because God was working in her heart. God was preserving the Hebrew children just as he through this Pharaoh's daughter, just as he did through the midwives. Notice the command she gives Miriam. I love this. Go. <laughs> go, verse 8. Go, Miriam. Right? You got to go and do what you want what you need to do. Miriam did not have to be told twice. She immediately sprung into action and reunited Jochebed, Moses' mom, and and uh, of course then of course Pharaoh's daughter invested in her, gave her wages to take care of this child. Man, what an amazing thing. Pharaoh's daughter even paid for Jochebed to raise her own child. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 28, that's one of the reasons we should have perfect peace is because we know God's on our team. Actually, that's not true. We're on his. We're not even on his team. We're in his family. We are even his children. We are even his sons. So take a breath, man. God's working on, he's working in us and he's working through us. And Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good. Even if this story went a different direction, it would have worked together for good. To those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So, you know, every Christian needs to realize that, you know what, it's important that we love God, that we obey God. When he says, open and go, we go. When the door's open, we go through it. Point F, Moses offered her son, uh, Moses' mother offered her son willingly. And we see that in verse 10. The character of Jochebed is on display as she gives her child to Pharaoh's daughter, and it says there, and for a mom, this would be very, we know, I know firsthand, that's very tough. Nothing but love for moms that, that give their children up for adoption. And they often do it under similar circumstances. Not because they don't want their child, but because they know what's best for their child. That takes a lot of character. And Jochebed gives up her, her child willingly. And that implies 
Up to that point, Moses was Jochebed's son, and that investment from birth never left Moses. He always knew his identity. Conversely, Moses took on the mantle of being heir of the royal family as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, what is not discussed is Pharaoh's daughter's uh, situation, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know what her situation was, but it it might be that she was his only son. I don't really know. But he would have had all the advantages of the royal family, which is an amazing opportunity that was before him. So point G, there's a practical application here. You don't have a point G, do you? That's right. I just gave myself away. All right. I spoke too soon. Uh, so, in a dark and diabolical world, see if I had done that right, I'd have just moved right on. I didn't. I, should, I messed up. All right, forgive me, Lord. All right. So, in a dark and diabolical world, believing parents have to trust the Lord with your children. And I don't mean just like to get them through elementary school or high school. Which, <laughs> believe me, you need to trust the Lord with your children. But, but, but beyond that, would to God. We'd raise a generation of young people, you know, that, that would take on the mantle of standing for Jesus, like Moses did, right? I mean, he didn't let go. He went forward, right? Why? Because his mother entrusted the Lord with her child. God had a call on his life. And you know what? He went forward. And parents, you know, what a shame it would be. If God was calling your child to be a missionary or a pastor or do something in ministry, and you're like, whoa, ho, 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 that don't pay, son. Baby, you don't need to marry that guy. He's going to be a pauper the rest of his life. Well, it depends how you measure success. Right? I mean, what's really important? The souls of men? I mean, God will provide. What's the priority here? And I, I, I got two kids, and if they said, "Hey, Dad, I, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the Middle East and be a missionary," don't get me wrong. I'd be going, "Whoa, whoa, slow your roll. Let's get you real well prepared." But I wouldn't discourage it. I wouldn't discourage it. Sometimes the biggest discouragement are the parents. I mean, in churches like ours, good Bible-believing local churches. I mean, they're all in at the missions conference, the Bible conference. They're all down with that. But if God calls for your kid to be put in the, in the river for some purpose, well, you're like, whoa, you better slow that roll, man. Don't get too serious about that Bible. I've been there. When I got saved, sorry, Mom, I know you're watching. But, I mean, it's, it's of a truth. Some of my family said, hey, dude, slow your roll. You are getting way too zealous. I hate to tell you, I ain't stopped. That's how we say it down here in Cass. At Fagan, I would say, we haven't stopped. But anyway. (laughs) Uh, So you get what I'm saying, though. I mean, in a dark and diabolical world, believing parents have to trust the Lord with their children. It doesn't mean just let them go to the crocs. But there are moments in time when you've got to trust God with your kids and, and they may be con- conceived in obscurity and, and they may be even in bondage. But God wants to use them for eternity. And not just your physical children, that also is our spiritual children. So like Christ, who was born in the humblest of situations and literally had to flee for his life in Egypt, God uses those forgotten and obscure things to bring about the biggest changes for eternity. You do not know. I do not know. 
And man, Pastor Ray yesterday highlighted it and put it in yellow. You do not know what God's going to do in the life of somebody. So don't, don't judge it before it's done. Man, I got the message. I'm just re-preaching that. Point two. So we see that God delivered, uh, you know, delivered Moses to be a deliverer. So God's deliverers are conceived in obscurity. But point two, God's deliverance is, well, it's cursed by carnality. You know, our best efforts, our best laid plans, man, we mess it up. Because why? Well, we're made out of skin. As, as clear and obvious as God is all over this thing, at the end of the day, Moses is just a man. Right? Remember that song? She's just a woman, I think, or whatever. Anyway, I'm getting myself in trouble. Anyway, a physical maturity is not equal to spiritual maturity. Physical maturation, right, is not equal to spiritual maturation. So physical maturity is not equal to spiritual maturity. There's some things that are not that that go on here in verse 11. As you see, it says, And it came to pass in those days, those days always is also, by the way, reminds us of the coming tribulation, when Moses was grown, that he went out into his brethren, and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. He's identifying now with his Hebrew brothers. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. I don't think uh, we would teach any of our kids to act like that. Okay, so he's down with the oppressor, uh, his brother, and he's, he's down with doing this, but this is not the way God would have it. Moses is he's around 40 years old, and he's, he's been educated in the system of Egypt. He's, he's viewed this situation, and he doesn't like what he sees, and he's, he's really willing to risk it all. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11. And, and the problem is that Moses, he could not solve this problem because it wasn't a physical problem. This was not a social problem. This was not a political problem. Wait a minute, Brian, what are you saying? The king made the decree and, and all of this is going on. You've been telling us that. Yeah, I know that. That's what historically was going on. That is, there was political elements, there were social elements. All of that's true. But at the end of the day, we have the story. We have the author's account So we know that there's more going on behind the scenes than a political problem or a social problem. There is a problem behind the scenes. It's a spiritual problem, and it needs a spiritual solution. You hearing me? There's a lot of things that go on in these cultures and these circumstances, and and there's a lot of ways to respond. And, And even people that have a good heart and have good intentions, they can get all fired up and they can do things. And guess what? It's absolutely the wrong thing to do with every right intention. I mean, we got an election coming up. There's a lot of people fired up. Woo! We're going to do this, that, and this, that. Listen, nothing's going to change if people don't get saved. I mean, if you've been around as long as I have, you've seen this. Just replay, replay, replay. No, I don't want to discourage it, by the way. Everyone, go vote. I'm going to vote. Okay, I'm not against voting. I'm all for it. I'm glad we live in this country, greatest country on the planet. All that's true. But man, we got problems, and they're not just political, and they're not just social. They are spiritual problems. And we need to understand that. To understand that, though, requires some maturity. Not just in age. You can be 80 years old and be very immature in spiritual matters. And you can, likewise, you can be a young man like Timothy. 
And Paul says, let no man despise thy youth. Put that biblical wisdom on display, young man. So Moses, he's, he's, he's taking this matter into his hands. And man, I respect his passion, man. I respect, I respect it. I can't help it. I mean, I, you know, hey, he's a man's man. I like that about Moses. But God says, ah. Now, not, not the way to deliver here, Moses. I'm glad that's stirring up in your heart, son, but that's not how we're going to play this. You, you have a little bit more work to do. You need to go to HBI. We used to call this shepherd school, so that would really fit well if we named our institute shepherd school. You need to go shepherd school, son. So we see him now become a murderer. What's his identity in Exodus chapter 2? Oh, the, the, the baby delivered from the water, drawn out from the water, raised in Pharaoh's house, and now his identity because he wasn't prudent and he was handling uh, uh, spiritual problems with physical solutions, is he becomes a butcher, a murderer, not a deliverer. Man, who wants to be a... You're, you're, you're called out to be a deliverer, but you become a murderer. That makes a good alliteration, doesn't it? Not alliteration. It just rhymes, whatever that's called. Across, I don't know. So point B, Moses tried to do the right thing at the wrong time. That's really what happened. He was, he's needed to deliver, but it was not the time for this, Moses. There will be a time when you go into the promised land, uh, which he will not get to, but you, you take out the sword and you slay the, the inhabitants. But that's not what I'm calling for right now. You need, to, you need to listen to me, son, and do what I'm telling you to do. Exodus 2.13, and when he went out the second day, right? nobody knew. Behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong. Notice that. He wasn't just fired up because this was my Hebrew brothers. He's principal. He's like, now he sees his two Hebrew brothers. He's like, hey, 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 stop that. That's wrong. And of course, you know the account, right? Let's see what it says. Verse 14, and he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Now, if Moses was quick on his feet, he probably wasn't. He would have said, well, technically God did. That's why I was adopted. Now, but anyway, he didn't do all that. Why? Because his hands are guilty. He literally is made a prince by God. And he is a judge. God put him in that position. But because he has gotten sinful, he doesn't have an answer. Think about that. If someone would have gotten his grill and said, Who made you a prince? Who made you a judge? He could have said, Well, um, let me tell you my testimony. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has put me right here. And I do have authority. Can I introduce you to my highest authority? You know, but because he had taken matters in his own hands, he under he undermined his own authority. Beloved pastors, I'm pointing at me. Man, that's the quickest way for us to lose authority is just to take things in our own hands and get carnal with it. And sometimes that's it's like, oh, that's easier. That's easy to do. No, it, it's easy to trust the Lord. No, it's not always easy to trust the Lord. There's times you want to throttle people. I mean, there's times you want to, you know, crawl up in a ball and cry, whatever. But at the end of the day, man, it's Jesus. Uh, pastors want to beat the church instead of lead the church. And man, I tell you, you and you, you know, someone hurts you. So you know what? You know what the Bible or not the Bible says? You know what the world says? Hurt people. Hurt people. A lot of angry 
bitter, hurt pastors are beating the sheep, the people that really love them and care about them. By the way, thank you for pastor appreciation. This is so sweet. That's not Heartland. I'm glad we're not in that mode here. But have you ever seen that happen? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's ugly. I, I was on the circuit one time with a guy. I shouldn't tell these stories, but it's true. I, I learned this firsthand. I'm sitting there. <clears throat> I'm sitting there. I'm the I'm, I'm the lead, and this guy brought him along as the second, and he was working with me at the mission. And man, he gets up to teach. Knowledgeable guy, knows the Bible. Blah blah blah. You know, just what Jeff was teaching this morning. Doesn't matter how much you know. Charity edifies. So he gets up in front of the congregation there, and he's teaching them, and, and they, he says, what's the theme of the Bible? Well, I know what he's looking for. Some of you know what he's looking for. The kingdom, right? The king, the kingdom. And, of course, what's most people going to say? Jesus or the cross, okay? Not a trick question. So I'm not going to yell at anybody. Of course, this guy, like, literally visibly gets upset and, and goes, oh, I can't believe you guys don't know the answer to this question. And he just starts berating these people, and I'm like, the shepherd in me is like, whoa, get off them, man. They're babies. They don't, they don't have the education you got. I'm glad they know that Jesus was on the cross, man. Relax. Man, don't beat the sheep. If God entrusts the flock to you, you got to be a shepherd. And that's the problem. Moses wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet. Some of you young men, man, I, I pray you got the passion and the, and the uh, I want to say he's inappropriate, but you, you have the, the vinegar to go with it. <laughs> and, uh, and you just, just want to tear the world up for Jesus. But I promise you this, you got to learn temperance. You've got to have virtue. You've you, you got to add to all that stuff or you're not going to be fit to handle your home or the church. That's why Paul put that in First Timothy and Titus. Because you can't beat the sheep. You've got to lead the sheep. And that's what, that's what Moses was going to have to be if he was going to lead these people out. He's going to have to be a shepherd, not a judge and a prince. And so God just pulled that thing right out from under him. Boop! He literally was a prince. <laughs> and he literally was a judge. And God literally put him there. And in one stroke, it was gone. His authority was gone. And as soon as they called him on it, his Hebrew brethren, who were going to be stewards of the law, you don't want to get in an argument with the law with a Hebrew. Uh, and man, you know what? Boom. He realized, I'm compromised. And next thing, you know, Pharaoh knows about it. And once he's compromised and Pharaoh knows about it, well, guess he's fleeing. And so Moses' sin finds him out, as Numbers 32 says. Be sure your sin will find you out. Point C, the deliverer needs to be delivered now. The deliverer needs to be delivered once more. You're like, yeah, he was already born physically. Now you know what he needs? He needs a spiritual deliverance. He needs a supernatural help. Just like the day I got saved. I needed help, Lord. Help me. I was already physically here, but spiritually I needed something to operate by because everything in my life wasn't working. Anybody been there? Amen. If you're saved, you know it. You need two births. You need to be delivered twice. You need to be delivered from your mother's womb, but there needs to come a day in your life when you're delivered from the reality that you can't even keep your own standards. You are a self-righteous sinner, no matter who you are. And God saves you by his grace. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. By all rights, Pharaoh had the right to kill him. But God had a different plan. Point C, the deliverer need to be delivered once more. So in Exodus 2.15, we now see that Pharaoh heard this thing and sought to slay Moses. 
You know what? You know what Pharaoh loved more than his own adopted son? Power. He wasn't going to let this 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 kid mess up his kingdom. Uh-uh. So Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelled in a land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now this this <clears throat> man that was a deliverer is now a murderer and he's sitting down by the wells a fugitive. The hope of delivering his people from oppression is completely evaporated. It's backfired. And he's all of 40 years old. And it'll be 40 more years before he is ready to resume his call to deliver his Hebrew brothers, and he won't even believe it's true. Just because you're old, by the way, doesn't mean you're wise. And just because you have good intentions doesn't mean you're spirit-filled. We, we don't just need knowledge. We need wisdom to go with it. And the problem is not oppression. The problem wasn't all the political or all the social. It was a spiritual sin problem, and Moses had that highlighted in yellow. So as he sat by that well, he's thinking about that. What is the problem? What is the problem? didn't work out too well. And as hard as it was for the Hebrews, it was still not time for them to repent and, and be delivered and trust God as their deliverer. The fact of the matter was, God knows the hearts of the Hebrews. And as much oppression as they have faced, as difficult as it was under Pharaoh, they were not yet ready to obey obey and follow Moses. Man, there's some of you in this room, you might not be saved. And I can preach to you I'm blue in the face. And you can go through problems, you can wreck your car, you can lose your family, you can do this and that, but you're not really ready to listen. God's got to deliver there, but it's going to be 40 more years. It's on hold. And beloved, for those of us that have been called to deliver, we've got to remember that our carnality can put things on hold with God. Well, you know, you get to the book of, of uh, uh, Numbers, right? That's what happened. The spies, their carnality put everything on hold for 40 more years. Man, let's not put things on hold. Let's go forward in faith. Isaiah 55, remember this in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's deliverers are conceived in obscurity. God's deliverance is cursed by carnality. But, good news, point three, that God's deliverers must learn to be content with a shepherd's identity. That's as far as I'm going to go. I could finish off the chapter, but I'm not. I'm going to just go to this, and we're going to be done. Moses chose a good location. Why is that? Because he's at the water of the well. He dwelt in the land of Midian. Midian was a son of Abraham uh, by his second wife, Keturah, Genesis 25, 1 through 2. These were cousins of Jacob. It was a Midianite merchant, uh, by, merchantman, by the way, that uh, found Joseph and, and sold his uh, Joseph to the Ishmaelites. So the Midianites are the ones that got Israel's seed into this situation. <laughs> and it will be the Midianites that God uses to get them out, ironically. kind of It's crazy how the Bible goes together like that. And so <clears throat> now God is going to use these Midianites uh, to get the Jews out of Egypt. And so Moses then sits down by this well, and he's at rest in the wilderness of Midian near this well uh, so he can get the water he needs, but he sees something go on. Point B, Moses maintained good intentions. He wasn't so discouraged that he's like, there's no justice, I'm not going to try. No, he can't help himself. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their flocks, and the shepherds came and drove them away. I, we see something right here before I move on any further. Where was Midian? 
You know what we have here? A leadership vacuum. We have a man who's not protecting his daughters. I don't know if he had sons. I don't know if he had nephews. But man, send somebody down there. Run some interference. Because this is going on, obviously, all the time. We know from the text. Keep reading. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. We ain't having this. Why? Because Moses doesn't like injustice. God created him, man. This is the right guy for the law, to be the steward of the law. He sees this injustice, and it just doesn't sit right with him. He's like, it's the principle of the thing, right? So he goes from sitting down to standing up. I doubt if he had to throw punches. I'm just guessing. Something about Moses. He's a pretty strong dude. His natural strength was not abated. He was a man's man for sure. And he also seemed to have a little bit of a temper. But Moses stands up for the Midianite daughters, and, and we know that this shows that his intentions were still good. Moses at heart is a deliverer, and he delivered his Hebrew brother from the Egyptian. He's now stopping the injustice of these... Of, of, uh, he tried to stop the injustice of one Hebrew against another. Now he's standing up to help these uh, women of Jethro, the Jethro's daughters, or Raul, as he's called in the text. Point C, Moses is rewarded for his compassion. He doesn't murder anybody. And he lets them get their water. And Ruel, also known as Jethro, desires Moses to stay with him. And Ruel, if you look at the text there, means friend of God. So just look at the text here. We'll finish up this text. It says down here in verse 18, And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And verse 20, And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? And why is it that ye have left the man? I mean, what are you doing? This is a good guy. Call him, that he may eat bread. Don't you know a good thing when you see it, girls? Invite this guy over to the house. Point 20, uh, verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. You know, I suspect when Moses was a baby, his dad was saying, you know, someday God's going to draw us out. Moses knew the deal. He knew he was supposed to come out. But when he gets his son, he's like, I'm a stranger in a strange land. This isn't where we belong, son. God's got a promised land for us. But Ruel means friend of God. The scripture would indicate Ruel was polytheistic pagan because of a statement in Exodus 18.10. Many would disagree with me on this, by the way, so if you have a different opinion, that's fine. But it says, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, now the hand of Pharaoh who hath delivered the, uh, the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. I think every commentary I've read says that he wasn't polytheistic, but I think he probably was. So I don't know. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is at length he becomes a believer in the one true God. But Jethro is a priest of Midian, and God uses Jethro to provide for Moses. He provides him a meal initially, and then he provides him a job as a shepherd, and then he provides him a wife in Zipporah, and ultimately he provides him a life. He gives him 40 years to dwell there. And before you get to the next chapter, Moses will have spent as much time as with the Midianites in the desert as he spent in Egypt. Half his life. Point D, Moses changed his identity as he served with Jethro with integrity. Right? He lost all that authority, but what did he need to replace that authority? He needed integrity. He needed the character to match the office. 
He already saw what the power was about. He understood what authority was about. I mean, he himself, in, in essence, was a powerful man. God had just gifted him with that from birth. But now he's got to match that, that, that what he's lost. He's lost all that authority. So how's he going to get it back? God says, this is how you're going to do it, son. You're going to have integrity. You're going to be single-minded and focused on being a shepherd. Exodus 2.19, and he said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us. He's an Egyptian when he shows up in the Midian desert. He wore the fine clothes of an Egyptian. He spoke like an Egyptian. He carried himself like an Egyptian, even though he was a Hebrew from birth. He was an Egyptian, just like you're a, a citizen of the United States. doesn't matter if you're red, brown, black, whatever color you are. When you're a citizen here and you go somewhere else, you're an American. He was an Egyptian in culture, in, in thought, in everything else. Culturally, he was an Egyptian when he showed up in the Midianite desert. But more importantly, Moses was identified as a deliverer. Don't miss that. That's what, that's what his daughters say. Hey, Dad, man, this man, you know what he did? He delivered us, right? He delivered. He's a deliverer. It says there in verse 19, And they said, An Egyptian delivered us. He's a deliverer. The word delivered is found nine times in Exodus. This is the second mention in the book. And other than uh, talking about the babies being delivered in Exodus 1.19, and the second one, being Moses being delivered... The final seven mentions are all about the deliverance that comes through Moses and the nation of Israel. So Moses learns to be content with what God provided in verses 20 through 21. That's what it says. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and all the other things that God brought him. I believe Paul may have had Moses in mind when he wrote to his disciple in the Lord, Timothy. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Parents, when your kids want to go into the ministry, remember Timothy and remember Moses. He takes the people in obscurity and he puts them in positions to bring great deliverance. Why? Because he doesn't need their pedigree. He doesn't need anything in this world. What he needs is people that will follow his word. Godliness with contentment is great gain, and having food and raiment, be content. But they that will be rich in this world fall into temptation and snares and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Sending your kid off to the Ivy League school to get the Ivy League job might be the worst thing for them. Hey, if they can do that and manage it, praise God. I'm not saying you should not do that. I'm not against any of that. I'm saying... If you know your child is called of God, do everything in your power to get him there because everything in the world is going to be against him. I remember my brother Brian Clark said, man, Brian, we were all about these tent makers and, and men coming up out of the ministry and now everybody wants to, to just kind of be a halfway vocational preacher. What happened to the days when we trained up men and that whole mission was to make them preachers? And I'm like, man, that, you might be on to something, Brian. We need men in the pulpits. Now, we do have a lot of men in pulpits that don't love God's Word and aren't preaching God's Word. We've probably got more of those than anything. But, man, would to God there would be a movement among Bible-believing Christians, among young men, and that, that they would hear the call of God and they would put their whole life into the things of God and they would turn aside from everything in this world and they would give themselves wholly to what God wants. That's what the world needs. That's what the nation needs. That's what the families need. That's what all of us need. And it's not my vision. It's God's vision. Hebrews 11. 
We know from Hebrews 11 that Moses gave up his identity as an Egyptian for the promise of God. He would rather be free, beloved, than privileged as an Egyptian. He'd rather be free than privileged as an Egyptian. It says in Hebrews 11:24, by faith Moses when he was come of years this wasn't when he was a baby. Once he was an old man, when he was 40 years old, some of you guys, 40 is not old. I know, it's, it's the new 20, right? All right. Keep saying that. And then when you're 60, it's the new, uh, I know. I'm right there in the middle, not 40 anymore. All right, so he says, what did he do? Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, he changed his identity. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I don't like what's going on around here with Hebrews. I'm going to identify with them. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, you can hide out. Where are you? Well, I'm a project manager. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a farmer. I'm a construction worker. Anybody just want to step right up and say, no, I'm a son of the living God. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Anybody want to fight about it? Not really. That's kind of Moses was a rough... I mean, he wasn't rough, but he wasn't playing. He says, you know what? I'm going to take my posterity. I'm going to take my pedigree. I'm, going to, I'm just going to throw it out. And if you want to identify with me, just, I just want everyone to know I'm a Hebrew. Circumcised the eighth day. I bet they circumcised him when he was a baby. He was a Hebrew. That's one of the reasons she knew he was a Hebrew baby. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Right? I remember when I was in high school, going to school, and I'm coming out for Jesus. Well, you know what they called us? Mockingly, me and Todd Rose? Jesus. Hey, bring it on, man. Call me Jesus. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under uh, he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He was looking ahead by faith. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had a higher authority. He had a higher purpose. So as he sat down at that well, he was no longer worried about the king. He was no longer worried about Pharaoh who was out of his jurisdiction. Now he says, you know what? I'm going to sit by this well. I'm going to be a fugitive. I'm going to be a Hebrew fugitive. I can be who God saved me to be. He wanted freedom is what he wanted. And you know what? He was the only Hebrew granted freedom at that time. And then he has a son named Gershon, which is said, I'm a stranger in a strange land. They're the two free Hebrews. The rest of his brethren are in slavery for 40 years. Oh, beloved, get a hold of what I'm saying. You have been set free. You have been made free. Why? So that you can deliver others. There are other people that aren't free. I mean, it doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what oppression you're in. When you're in Christ, you are free. Even if they lop your head off, even if they chase you down a jungle trail and kill you, even if they persecute you to death, you are free. And that message, beloved, is the scariest message on the planet. And you only have that message because you have divine authority, because you have been given the seed of God's word. It is in this book, but it is in your heart. Christ Jesus is in you of a truth. He is the word of God. Don't misunderstand who you identify with. 
The greatest deliverer that the world has ever seen lives in your carcass. Get your head around that. Don't get scared of identity politics and this and that and blah, 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 transgenderism, transhumanism. Up your nose with a rubber hose with all that stuff. God's going to correct it. (laughs) That's pretty old, isn't it? (laughs) I have a child of the 70s, man. I'm dating myself. Fonzie, man, I'm telling you. I get caught up in what is true, though, isn't it? (laughs) Take a serious moment and get crazy. We must need a little honey to get the medicine down. And with all seriousness, and everything I say, guys, it's just so true. Not because I say it. It's the Word of God, man. It's so true. Man, it's good to be free. Because you have the spirit of the living God. He that is free is free indeed. God blessed Moses with the things that he needed to be a mighty deliverer that would draw God's people out of Egypt. What did he give him? Well, he gave him his wife, Zipporah. He gave him his son. You know, Zipporah is a Gentile bride. Her name means bird. Lady Bird Johnson? I don't know. But you know what? She's a Cushite. By the time we get down the road in the text in Exodus chapter 12 and they're underway, Miriam and Aaron, they're making fun of Moses' bride. You know why? Because they're a shadow and a type. They're a type of the Hebrews. To this day, Hebrews can't believe that Jesus was Messiah. One of the reasons why is, I mean, why would Messiah overlook us to go for the Gentiles? I mean, come on, man. We got all that in a bag of chips. We got the promises. We got the law. Surely Jesus wasn't Messiah. Yeah, he is. If you're a Jew, listen, he's Messiah. And they mocked her because she was a Cushite. She was an African. She looked like an African. She had black skin. Beautiful African wife. And you know what? They couldn't deal with it. Until God said, hey, stop that, and gave him leprosy. And they're like, okay, we're sorry, we give. <laughs> Don't kill us. But what's she really a picture of? Well, she's a picture of us, right? The only reason we get the promises of the lawgiver, Shiloh, that comes forth is because Jesus Christ loves us. We're the Gentile bride, like Ruth and also like Zipporah. She goes into the promised land, She's a leader in the promised land. She's right in there with Moses. Why? Well, because the lawgiver came and died on the cross for us. We are the bride of Christ. And guess where he's taken us literally? Like after the catching away of the church, we're going to fly away like a a bird. Because the Spirit of God does dwell in the church. And we're like a bird, a dove. And we're going to fly away. And then we're going to come back. Revelation 19. And we're going to enter the promised land with Jesus. It's amazing what's in your Bible. But first you've got to believe it. Because if you never believe your Bible, you'll never see it. As a son named Gershom, a stranger in a strange land, Moses clearly wasn't home in Midian. Even though he spent 40 years though there. He's no longer an Egyptian. He's no longer an authority. But now, 
like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before him. He's looking for a promised God with a promised seed and a promised land. Gershom is his seed who's freeborn. And of the Jews that are freeborn, he's a stranger in a strange land. Beloved, this is not our home. Do all the things you need to do. Be a great citizen wherever you live. If you're listening to this in India or some other place, be the best citizen you can wherever you are. But at the end of the day, this is not our home. Praise God for that. Evocation as a shepherd is really what Moses needed. Why? So that he could have the proper identity and be content with that identity. Beloved, I've come to that place. I'm content. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Egypt. But I also don't want to stay in Midian. Part about being a leader is you've got to know where you're going. Man, do you know where you're going? And do you live your life like that? Because you're a herdsman. You're taking people where they need to go. Those people are your wife and your kids, your ministry. This is just a little follow-up to our men's conference. It's just fresh on my mind. Man, Moses, he was delivered, listen to me, to be a deliverer. He wasn't just delivered once as a child. He was delivered twice. And if you're born again, you've been delivered twice. Why? Because God has more work for you to do in the delivery business. He needs us out doing what we're here to do, which is go ye therefore and teach all nations. Man, we are here to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Some of you men here need to understand that you need further training. You need to get serious. I, I know that. I've got to be talking to somebody because I feel like our ranks are thin. I feel like we're out here in a cow field in obscurity. And I know that the mission is big and it's large. I know we can't do it all by ourselves, but we have a piece of it. And I'm like, who needs to fill up these seats? Or who's out here in the, who's over in the E-Wing? Who, is, who, who are the people of obscurity that God's calling to change their identity? And to rise above politics, to rise above social issues, to rise above all that stuff and focus on the real issues of life, which is the spiritual nature that is corrupted, that needs to be changed. And then go out with power, love, and a sound mind and be a deliverer to this world that needs deliverance. Later on, we'll see Zipporah did a pretty good job of saving Moses (laughs) from God's wrath. Some of you women, I'm not overlooking you. We we need women to raise these young men because a lot of times the men aren't doing it. And when men won't step up, the women have to step in, unfortunately. And so I'm supporting you too because, man, we need as many godly women and men as possible. But I am talking to men very clearly in this message. So these, these things that happened completely changed his identity and it transformed him into the man that God wanted him to be to, to answer a prayer. And we'll talk about that next time. But before we get to that, I just need you to know right now where we're stopping is, is on this point. God delivered him to be a deliverer. God's deliverers are conceived in obscurity. They are cursed by carnality. We all are. But yet, God's deliverance and his, and his deliverers must learn to be content with the shepherd's identity. You've got to own who God made you to be. And man, that's what it is. You're not going to be the next rock star, uh, the next whatever. You just need to be a servant and a shepherd. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and giving us your son. Thank you for